Okay, so on Good News from the Middle East, I'm sitting here with my good friend Jeff Gerhardt. And Jeff is not only a good friend, he's the chairman of the board for Uncharted. And we want to hear from you, Jeff, today on what you do, how you help the body of Christ, and also what you do to improve businesses for the man that loves the Lord, wants to run a sound business, and wants to build a strong team. So I'm just thrilled to have you. Oh, Tom, thank you for having me. It's good to be here with you today. You know, uh, our friendship uh, has gone back many years now, and our opportunities to collaborate in the ministry space uh, really is allowed for Heather and I to see our lives and hearts come alive uh, collaborating with you. So it's a real privilege to be able to talk with you and, and speak a little bit about what we do, maybe what we do together. That's right. And uh, what uh, I do in my space. Um, so in, in my world, I, I get to work alongside uh, wonderful leaders like you. Uh, and when I come alongside leaders, uh, we're thinking about how do we help them to go further faster? Um, so many times they're carrying a vision and imagination for uh, how God might work or how they uh, might see a new work get started. And when we come alongside of them, we're thinking about uh, how do we enable that vision? Uh, how do we help them to move from a, a dream into let's do this in practical steps, always remaining with a a segment of there's got to be faith as part of the process, mm-hmm. not something with which you would be able to say um, that we would just be able to do it, but in fact that that dream has an element of faith and an element of practicality, and then how do we help them to manage it fluidly so that it wouldn't be, oh my goodness, now I'm locked into this plan, and it's you know a document that's collecting dust on my shelf that somewhere. That nobody ever looks at. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> or, or it's something that, uh, uh, that makes me feel like I'm chained. Um, you know, uh, what What we think of is that the plan is everything, the plan is nothing, as they say. And and when the first bullets start flying, the plan has to adjust. Uh, and so we, we help to give the uh, assurance that uh, as you're walking into uh, this plan and this dream, um, that the first step of the hero's journey uh, doesn't uh, guarantee anything uh, once the weather changes, once uh, uh, pandemic Mix hit, oh. <laughs> yeah. That that you have to adjust to those things. So uh, we're we're partners, we're guides and support to help uh, leaders like you uh, build strategies and, moreover, build teams that are going to be strong enough to see them through and 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 help them to be an additive part and not a a drag. Isn't that, isn't that the hardest part about being a leader, Tom? Is that uh, you know that the multiplication of your work is all about the people that you hire, the people that you bring alongside of you to go on that journey. And you're hoping that they're going to be additive, that they're going to be life-giving. And and that is a big challenge for the leaders to get the right people. And when you've got the right people to keep them moving forward and and herded with that vision in front of them to keep them going and keep, keep them full of energy. That is so true. And you know what? Just honestly now, being in ministry for 40 years, being the right leader that we yeah, need to be yeah. through the changes. And right. we all all need sharpening, every one of us. And, uh, you know, we have a saying in the Doyle family, all good things start in Israel. Mm-hmm. So many things happen <laughs> yeah. for us in Israel when we're there. Yeah, we're busy, we're place. taking another tour or a mission trip, whatever. And we're there and God just does amazing mm, things. Does. And we met, you and Heather and Joanna and I met on a Bible tour. And was this... Is this five years five ago? Five years. It's yeah, five just years this month, ago, really. which is something. And immediately, 
Uh, I was just drawn to you. I thought you were wise beyond your years. I like talking strategy. I love vision. Mm. And we started talking, and it's kind of crazy how we met. You want to just tell that? I'd love love telling this story, Tom, uh, because what was so great about that moment was that we came on that tour as fans of you, and we thought, oh, gosh, uh, we're going to meet this guy. Well, let me take it back just a little bit. Uh, So Heather and I used to take our sons to this Bible camp in Northern California called Mount Hermon. And uh, what I love to do on vacation is to read, and I'm a sucker for current events. So in in those years, when I walked into their bookstore at the front of that camp, there was this big display on things that are going on in the Middle East. And there were all sorts of books, but somehow I grabbed Killing Christians. Uh, And I grabbed that book and thought, well, this looks good, and I want to read about what's going on in the Middle East, and the title's gripping. And all of a sudden, uh, I found that Heather was stealing the book off the nightstand, and the both of us are reading this book, falling in love with it. Having no idea, Tom, that the trip that we were going to go on in October, that you were the author of this book and the leader of the trip that we were going to go on Amazing. later that year. So when I was uh, laying in my bed on a business trip, I got to the back flap and read that that Tom Doyle and his wife Joanne lead tours to Israel. I, I ran to my laptop, I popped that thing open, and I looked at my itinerary, and sure enough, there's your name, and I couldn't believe it. And I called my wife, and I think she was in tears, really, just thinking about, we were going on this trip, and it was our, our anniversary, our big 20th anniversary then, so we were over the moon to meet you, uh, oh, which gosh. was a which a real treat. But the, the great the great thing was is that you, we were friends so fast, and it, it wasn't uh, a a a celebrity. It was a, you engaged me and started telling me all about what was going on in the Middle East, and we were already excited for uh, how to reach the Middle East for Jesus. And here we are meeting someone who is really the Indiana Jones of the <laughs> Middle East, uh, that it's explaining uh, how it works and giving us real access to opportunity. So we were thrilled meeting you that first night. I'll never forget that that picnic uh, barbecue uh, there uh, next to the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. And, and we were sitting there and, and you were asking me, well, so Jeff, what do you do? And, and I'm explaining it's business this and business that. And occasionally we lead worship at our church. You said, "Great, Jeff. So I'll have a guitar on the bus tomorrow morning for <laughs> <We> you." <did>. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was uh, it was already set that uh, Heather and I would be leading worship, which we just jumped into, and and, and that you was did. yeah one of my favorite things about working with you, Tom, is that there's those moments where you get the this might sound crazy, but we're just going to jump into it. And we just jump into it and proceed to have the most amazing worship time with the Holocaust survivors oh, first. Never forget that. It was incredible, and the whole trip. Uh, so, it, it was the um, the moment with which our, our friendship starts, uh, and the opportunity to collaborate appears. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, God starts to come to town via a train, offering us, "Do you want to get on board? Do you want to get started here?" And we kept saying yes, and every time we said yes, God shows up, provides. And now we live here in Texas. And we immediately, well, Bob Shank came up and said, well, they don't just lead worship. They're really good. (laughs) They do retreats and things and... And that you, and then hearing Heather sing "Holy Mackerel," yeah. and you guys, well, she's together. the show, Bob. Uh, she's the oh. show. I mean, really, oh. at the end of the day, uh, Bob would tell you that that Heather's the show, and I'm the backing band. So <laughs> <laughs> she's she's so special. gifted, yeah. and just the team loved it. That's always a missing element in Israel. 
you want to study the Bible, you want to pray, you want to worship too. Yeah. And so that was such a blessing. And um, I just love this verse. Uh, when Joanna and I went on our first date, she sent a little card mm. and it was in the Biola mailbox the next day to thank me for the date. I never had a girl ever do that, you know, and I read this note. I still have it. And it was very sweet. And then at the bottom, it said Proverbs 16, 9, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his That's step. right. And so as the Lord directs our steps, sometimes he does things through us that we're not even aware of. Yeah. And later on, we find out. And I think you had a copy of Killing Christians. And I signed it and didn't it say something like we have a lot of great adventures we have we're great gonna go adventures on? ahead i couldn't you know i didn't think of it much then uh and, and but you signed the book and later i opened it and thought my goodness the lord has fulfilled exactly Isn't what you wrote something and i never signed a book that way but now i look at it israel a couple of times Jordan, yeah, Lebanon, yeah, Saudi Arabia, right? Wow, right, right. The adventures continue. So anyway, uh, for those of you listening today, we launched Uncharted Ministries, and uh, Jeff put together a team, a launching team, and then a board came together, and away we took off, and uh, it has been a wild ride. Yeah, it really has. I mean, I just think if we'd have had a concrete plan, and that's what you're so good at, not. You, planning is one thing. A plan can be sedentary. And yeah. gosh, I've been in ministries that they had a plan and then you pull it out at the end of the year and go, about half of these things we don't even do. Right. You know, how, right. how did we get to this place? Planning is always refining as we're going along. That's right. And uh, boy, you have helped us so much, trained our team. In fact, we have a training on Monday. That's right. Our we're going to spend a day together. Ready for. And so tell the listeners about. Um, how do you combine that? Let's talk with, about ministries first, spiritual gifts, strengths, weaknesses, all sure. of those things, and build a team that really functions well together. Well, um, I have to give credit and honor where honors due. Uh, my work is based off of the platform that Patrick Lencioni created a number of years ago, and so I get the opportunity to leverage that uh, both in the business and the ministry space. And you know what, Tom, is that um, I, I really don't think of it as a world of sacred and secular. Yeah. Um, there There's actually neither, and I get the opportunity to work with uh, leaders. I'm addressing them the same way. It's just that their dreams are a little bit different and their outcomes perhaps measured differently. But at the same time, uh, people are people, and what we have to think of is their needs um, and the le the needs of the leader. So when we're working together, we're really thinking about, all right, uh, what's the most important thing right now? And, and why do you exist? And what are the behaviors that you want to see come and the values mm. that, that come? I often explain is that, that leadership happens in the invisible and management happens in the visible. And so what I mean by that is that leaders, when they're working in the invisible, they're working on things like culture, mission, values, behaviors. And those things are invisible until they show up all the time. Uh, managers work in things like project plans, uh, uh, hiring strategies. Uh, and that's the place that are the, the tangible things that are unseen. But when I spend time with leaders, I'm saying, okay, there's some intentional things that can drive greater trust, greater outcomes, how to have conflict, how to get commitment. Sure. What does it mean for us to be accountable? Uh, even in a ministry space, how do we drive strong accountability and then see results? 
all those things have to to be orchestrated together. And so when I'm working with with leaders, I'm understanding that that oftentimes they might think of this as this is the soft stuff, Jeff. This is the mm-hmm. stuff that, you know, I know how to do uh, the decision sciences of uh, whether delivering a sermon or um, writing a book or um, leading a team and executing whatever it is that that is their genius. But then when you start to talk about these things about what does it mean to have higher morale and less turnover and less politics and some of these things that we all crave that keep us up at night and keep us worried, that's that's where I enter in and understand that that the leader often sees that as a as a stress point, a, a nightmare. Right. Uh, I'm I don't know how to deal with this, and and what I work to do and and we collaborate on is is tangible steps that that uh, can help them. Uh, operate better, uh, as well as help their teams <clears throat> to be able to think about how how do I what's my part in this, and how can I be the best additive part to a team, and then have the critical conversations about what needs to adjust, and then weekly, daily, monthly, quarterly meeting, uh, which. By the way, Tom, um, I, I love reminding leaders of this is that, um, you know, people in sports, they're going to win. A football player is going to win on the field. A teacher is going to win in the classroom. You and I as leaders are going to win in meetings. But those are often the places where we are stressed or we feel the life leave us when we go to meetings or have to have one on the calendar. Uh, what we have to do as leaders is to get those meetings in a place where they're life-giving, yes. that they're seen as critical, um, that that there's an element of uh, we don't know what's going to happen here, but we've got to be there. And when we get to be in this meeting instead of got to be in this meeting, all of a sudden the the magic happens and, and we're able to collaborate in a strong way. So so that's, that's what we do is to help leaders figure out that piece that feels so um, unscientific or uh, something that you couldn't drive through behavior, but that you can actually do everyday disciplines of what should I do today? How should I meet? And help them to make those changes that are really their life-giving and ultimately to the, the organization make them successful. And, you know, I remember you saying early on in our relationship talking about the centrality of the meeting. Yeah. And I probably said something flip like, I'm an anti-meeting guy. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> do like meetings. But you know what? Think about this. 40 years of ministry, uh, elder meetings, deacon meetings, board meetings, sometimes they were good Sometimes they were draining, but I look forward to our board meetings. I really do. We we can get on our face. We can have thrilling updates. We're, we're going to cover business, but it's one of those things you can't wait to get to and you don't want to leave. So you you really live that out, what you practice, and I think that's so amazing. You, you said something uh, earlier today about trying to understand people, and that's that's a key element with leadership is understanding yeah. that person that you're dealing with. Yeah. Fundamental attribution error yeah. that, that has us make assumptions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, Tom, we're all carrying stories about each other. Our brains are working in ways with which, uh, in absence of information, we connect the dots. Uh, and the example that I like to give is that when we're driving along the road and that person from the far left lane wants to try to get off the exit at the last moment right in front of you and cuts you off, uh, your, your brain makes some immediate 
choices as well as complete stories. That story could could be the the one that that our flesh would lead us to fastest, and that that guy's a jerk, right? Yeah. And that's the answer first that may come to us. But another answer that could be just as equally true would be. Maybe that guy just heard that his father's dying. And if he doesn't make this exit, he may miss his last breath. And so the stories are are equally possible. One story is taking away from me. One story is giving me life. So by, by being able to be filled up with an opportunity to change the story... I keep from associating uh, what we talk about with the fundamental attribution error, and it's very simply this, is that when I see good things happen, I decide it's because I deserved it if it happened to me. But when good things happen to other people, we start to say it was external factors that made Ah. them successful. And then we reverse it. We say, uh, when bad things happen to me, uh, it it was because of external things. And when bad things happen to others, uh, we think it was because they deserved it. And this is the error that happens, uh, that, that we give ourselves a lot of grace, um, and and this is that whole do unto others sort of so mentality true. where I can start to say, you know what, I would want to apply a story to myself uh, that would allow for the widest a broad uh, grace that could be could be applied. So when I apply that to you or in any story gaps that I have, I have empathy. And when I have empathy, we can collaborate stronger. Now, that's not to avoid the truth. Right. It's not to say that the truth doesn't exist. It just allows for me to say that if I can be, as our standard bearer is in John 1 described as full of grace— and full of truth mm-hmm. all the time. That wasn't a pendulum swing from uh, at this moment I'm going to be full of truth and I'm going to confront you, and at this moment I'm going to be pendulum pendulum swing to the other side and and be full of grace. It's, it was a hundred percent of both all the time. So by doing that, I'm, I'm allowing myself to manage the story. And when I manage the the stories that I've got inside with the teams that I work with, the board that I serve with, um, that that always managing the story is really important because it's going to lead to behavior. That's it's right. going to impact our outcomes. So when when we concentrate on that and, and invite people even to tell us things and be curious about why did that happen, uh, we're, we're allowing for more empathy, more grace which is really the opportunity to, to have the big, greatest mm, collaboration in wow. teams. You know, you mentioned being on the freeway, and I think a, a place where people can also get frustrated with each other is on airplanes. <laughs> it comes yeah. out, and I got my space, All of and a sudden, it's not real big, and, yeah. and that. And I just always remember this story, thinking about fundamental attribution error, about a guy that was on a plane. He had three kids, and uh, he was not paying attention to them. They were young. They were all under five, and he was sitting and just kind of looking with his head down, not paying attention, and the kids were climbing around and and sometimes walking up and down the aisle and making noise (laughs) and all of that, and people were upset. You could hear the rumblings, but he wasn't noticing it. Finally, a lady jumped out of her seat and just went up and said, Sir, you're going to have to get control of your kids. And he looked up and he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. We just returned from my wife's funeral, and I'm just not... I'm not thinking. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I mean, this story makes me want to cry. The whole plane changed. I mean, just that story flip. He's not a jerk and not paying attention. He lost his wife. He's inconsolable. The whole plane, you know, there were kids on the laps and all of that. And boy, we really do. We've got to give people the benefit of the doubt. 
And of course, Jesus was perfect at that. Yeah. I love how you say leaders are like pendulums, but but that isn't always the best way to really operate, is no, it? No, it's not. And you know, some of that is is the the emotions. You know, the leader is in a place where they've got a dream. There's a chance that it won't be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. There's a great amount of anxiety around. Uh, God, how are you going to make this all come together? And so it's very lonely sometimes in that leader uh, seat. And so what we have to do uh, when we rally around leaders is to help them not feel that swing of emotion, of uh, anxiety uh, and fear to hope and back and forth. Um, I I love this. um, uh, Jim Collins uh, interviewed um, an admiral uh, from the Vietnam War, and um, this admiral that he uh, interviewed from the Vietnam War uh, was the highest-ranking prisoner uh, in the Hanoi Hilton. Oh, wow. He was there for seven and a half years, was with John McCain there. Uh, his name was Admiral uh, James Stockdale. Uh, he was uh, the VP uh, for a running mate uh, for um, our uh, guy here in town, yeah, who was that? Uh, uh, oh, Ross Perot. Ross Perot, there you go. Uh, so he was his running mate. But um, fast fact there. Anyway, back to Vietnam. He's in the Hanoi Hilton for seven and a half years. So Jim Collins interviewed him and said, okay, so Admiral Stockdale, you survived this prison camp. How did you survive? And And the answer that came out of his mouth was that, well, we always believed— that we would survive. I always believed that that this would all work out. And so he said, well, Jim Collins said, well, that's that's interesting, uh, Admiral Stockdale. So who didn't make it? And at, the Admiral said, well, it, were the, it was the optimists. It was the optimists who didn't make it. He said, well, wait, wait, hang on. What you're saying is that you always believed that everything would work out, but the optimists weren't the one that made it? And he said, well, yeah, what would happen is they would say, you know, by Christmas they're going to liberate this camp, or by Easter the war is going to be over, and Christmas would come, and Easter after that, and they died of broken hearts and losing hope. He said, so, so that the paradox, and, and, and Jim Collins called this the Stockdale paradox, he said that uh, it was always a belief, there's always a belief for the leader that in the end you'll prevail. But every day there is an uh, understanding of looking at what's around you openly and confronting reality. Uh, it's to say that uh, uh, for, for Admiral Stockdale, he said, we used to make um, plans for how to survive torture. We would make phases of the torture so that we could ha- keep holding on to hope for the future while managing this is phase one, this is phase two, all the way through to the end. And, and so for the leader, that Stockdale paradox that we can grip onto is that we've always got hope in front of us. We, we believe that, God, you're going to show up here where uh, I don't know how, or there's going to be a miraculous intervention of some kind, but we hold out hope for the future. And then today I confront the reality of today. And if that means that today is terrible or today is in the mud, that that I confront the mud and just decide that I'm going to wipe myself off and I'm going to keep going, holding out the hope, but confronting today's reality. And and, and so when when we talk about the leader, uh, we're trying to keep um, both uh, that, that hope and reality always always there present so that they're not losing heart that they keep their heart full of hope and faith but then confronting the risk confronting the reality so that they can keep 
moving forward. And that's the pendulum swing is that mm. they can be swinging from I'm, I'm uh, fearful to I'm hopeful. And, and I think it's the plumb line that's in the middle of both yeah. is that I, I'm confronting reality and I'm always holding on tight to that faith. Wow. What a story that is with Stockdale. Yeah, too. right. That illustrates it beautifully. Wow. Um, so tell us what you do. I, I would say this for those of you that would want to have Jeff in to look at your ministry or your business, make you more uh, an effective team. He will do that. He lives that. And he's a leader's friend, too. Mm. You know, he, yeah. you really are. You understand leadership. You are a leader. So so we understand that world, too. And it can be lonely at the Very. top. I remember, Jeff, at one point pastoring. I was just I had been an assistant pastor for a few years. Then I became a senior pastor. Yeah. Now they call him a lead pastor. And so someone said, what's the difference between being a senior pastor and an assistant? And I said, about 100 times more pressure. Yeah. You know, the buck stops with you. And right. so... I can remember one time, and we had six kids. We're building a church. So many things going on, and I just want to break. A guy asked me to go play golf, and I said, that would be nice. Let's go play golf. So we went, and on the very first hole, he said, I'm just so glad I have you for 18 holes. I need counseling in my marriage, and I just several things. I don't know what to do. So I thought if I got you out here, I get four hours of uninterrupted time. (laughs) I wanted to run for the clubhouse. Are (laughs) you kidding? Oh, my gosh, we don't have a couch we have a golf cart and i gotta <laughs> listen to this all day want to help them but sometimes you're just over the limit and sometimes you you need a break yeah. and you need to just disconnect but tell people some of the things you do that will help their ministry supercharge it because you've done that with us or businesses as far as building that team no it's all about helping the leader to build clarity um you know, what most uh, everyone is looking to a leader for is certainty. They want to be able to hear them say, this will happen, then that will happen. But the best leaders don't try to answer for certainty and give people uh, absolute answers. They give them clarity. They give them clarity on what to do next. I think about, you know, uh, when the disciples were with Jesus and they were saying, is this the moment? You know, are you going to come back and get on the throne? Is this going to happen? And, and he said, hey, um, that's not for me to know. It's for the Father to know. Uh, but I'm going to give you a clarity. And clarity is go into the world. Yeah. Make disciples. Right. Baptize them. And he gave them the certainty about or the clarity about the next things that they should do. So as leaders, we're, we're not there to give the certainty of the outcomes. We're, we're there to give the clarity of uh, what to do next. And and oftentimes for leaders, uh, they, they sort of get into one of two modes, which is uh, I'm going to shrug my shoulders and sort of say, well, what do you want to do? And, and, and it becomes a consensus-driven organization, which can really slow things down. Um, Or they're off charging somewhere and making decisions, but nobody knew where they went. Mm. Um, And so to keep us together, it's all about clarity. And that's the work that we do is to build a clarity with which me as the leader, I can inside me know what's most important and where are we going and what who has to do what to make that all happen. But not only inside of me, I've got a great way to get that across my lips uh, so that the people around me know the answers to those questions. What's most important for us right now? And what are we going to do next? So our work um, is at the central point, uh, is to build a team with which uh, they're capable uh, to have the critical conversations to answer those questions, and then be um, unquestionably certain 
about what is most important right now. And then we help them to build a meeting plan with which they can guard that uh, and make sure that the outcomes that they're shooting for are, are going to happen. And so, so the work of that uh, is a, a process of, of getting uh, an understanding of what's going on. And so I, I like to survey the organization so that I can understand, hey, what are your challenges right now? Um, you know, I think that for, for you, for all of us as leaders, we don't want people to come in and say, here's what you do, A, B, and C, and kind of throw a recipe at somebody and mm-hmm. walk away. What leaders need is someone's going to walk alongside them and really understand and actually become uh, cheerleaders and uh, just fans of the organization. I mean, you know, I'm a fan of Uncharted. I love mm-hmm. deeply. We love Uncharted and we love you and jo- Joanne. But but for our heart and our business is that we would have the same level of fandom, of care, of we are for this business, we are for this ministry. So we get to know them. <clears throat> That's really the first phase of the work that we do is to, to really get to know them and understand why if they weren't in the world, this wouldn't exist and why it's so critical that it does exist. Then we work together intensely uh, to help them build that clarity uh, together. Uh, we prop up the leader as the gavel holder because the leaders got to bring order out of chaos. Uh, the best teams uh, are, uh, as an example, a surgical team. Mm-hmm. Because when you're in the surgery room, and I've been in many operating theaters, uh, the surgeon's the, the guy that's bringing order out of chaos because there's a central understanding, a clarity about the patient on the table. There's no debating what we're there for. We're there for this patient's health, whatever the issue is that got them onto that table. And so when we unify our Around that, and we can be certain around this is a life or death sort of scenario that we care about it so much. All of a sudden, some of those side agendas, those uh, maybe bickering points that we want to bring up, they drop because our clarity is so high. So, so we work with uh, in a in a second phase, uh, helping a team to get that answer to who is our patient on the table mm-hmm. or what is our patient on the table, and then the third phase really of working together is to help them uh, implement that into meeting. Because as I said earlier, we're going to have our success in the way that we meet. So for us to see it through, to get all the way there, we have to build a clarity and then put that clarity into our mm. our everyday meeting. Mm. Well, and you said you love Uncharted. And I do. Boy, did we ever see that when you left sunny California <laughs> for hot, humid Texas yeah. and came here. We... We were just in shock when you said you felt like God was calling you to do that. We're thrilled. I was in shock too. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. We thought, can't we move there? You yeah, know, right. maybe that's the thing we need to. And immediately we start planning to launch Uncharted and and the sky's the limit. And you know, you just resonated with everybody's heart. And we say this at Uncharted: extreme, unwavering, high mm-hmm. risk, mm-hmm. because every soul matters. Oh yeah. And um, and right off the bat, right out of the shoot. We got to go to Lebanon, and yeah. you and Heather led worship. Yeah. We were about the team in from Syria. Yeah. And what a whenever I'm with them, to see that commitment, the willingness to suffer for Jesus, the willingness to die. As, as a leader, here we're up, you're sharing, we're sharing. We need to be sitting at their feet. Just, yeah. we, we may have, maybe we have more knowledge level, I don't know, but but the obedience level they have is through the roof. And 
you remember some of the people that got up and share. You remember some of Can the I stories. Can I tell two stories yeah. from that experience? Um, so first of all, um, funny story first. Um, we were leading worship, and we had been planning to lead worship with the, the Syrian team. And we'd been talking with them through WhatsApp, right, and getting ready. And they were sending us music. And so Heather and I are rehearsing in Texas, and they're in Syria. And we meet in Lebanon, and uh, we go to do this music for the first time, and we're playing together for the first time. And it's sounds awful and we're thinking to ourselves what in the world is going on here and and finally uh uh jeremy uh he, he leans over and says uh, what are you playing and, and jeremy from syria and and I, I explained and he said you know we read from right to left not left to right so so here i'm playing music from left to right he's playing it from right to left and we sound awful uh but uh we we loved them so much. There there were some moving experiences that Heather and I tell all the time. But the one that that always gets us, and exactly to your point of why we think that we really need to learn from them, yeah. uh, is that we were in a meeting with all these pastors, right? And this is in the middle of the war, and somebody to the left of us stands up, and and we're listening via translation. He's speaking in Arabic. He said, "Brothers, you know, my son uh, was." was witness to a, an ISIS fighter who jumped into his classroom and killed a man in his classroom. And I don't know what to do. We feel like we need to leave. I'm not sure how to handle this. You know, my, my son, he's 12 years old and he's grieving with this. And so all of us are just, you know, hearts going out to him. And we can't believe what we've just heard is as, as a testimony to the reality of the challenges that are going on in that country. And then I have this man stand up and speak in Arabic behind me. And he said, brothers, I, I've just decided that um, I, I'm going to die. I'm going to stay in Syria and I'm going to die. And if I'm going to die, I'd rather die for Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, uh, I've never been around anybody that said those words. Yeah. Uh, and and to think, okay, this is real and these guys are in it. Um, it was another moment for us of just calling into a deeper relationship oh. with the Lord and to, to understand the needs that are there and um, the real calling that we have for persecution and what, of mm. course, Uncharted does, which is one of the things, Tom, you know, that, that I love about the work that we get to do together is that you're never taking on anything that is is in hand. It's always <laughs> this like gap of, I don't know how God's going to do it. But we're just going to say yes, and from here until when that happens, we're going to trust. And and we never. And so there's always this. There's a a good drama, a sense to it of like, wow, you know, okay. And and uh, I, I our friend uh, David Ridley said this to me the other day. I love this. He said, "There's nothing that builds trust more than success." Mm. And and Tom, you know, one of the things that's great about you as a leader is that we can count on that success because you trust in God oh. and that you walk into those spaces with which um, we don't know how it's going to work out. But we've stood with you through I don't know how many of these now where we've just seen success. And so your mm. leadership is actually built on that success and that creates trust and and that's the faith to faith thing from faith to faith this is the the success to success and that lord our faith is just growing because we've seen amazing things happen every time we've said yes wow. to this next sort of i don't know how it's gonna happen that's right but we're going for it oh my gosh well that i'm humbled by you saying that especially from you that understands leadership so much praise god 
boy, we have so many times just prayed and knew the Lord was calling us yeah. to something, and it just seemed quite a bit crazy, really. And I, I think even about I Found the Truth, the Muslim background believer videos, and here we launch, we want to tell their stories, and within months, they're playing on television all throughout the Middle East, you know? Yeah. We just got started, and God did this. We would have never planned this, but I just think what he calls us to, he equips us for. It's true. If, if we're really on our face learning and growing, and boy, you have lived that out, and We've learned a lot together, but I'm telling you, we, we're both sports guys, too. So we're always saying, let's swing for the fences, That's you right. know? That's let's right. just go for it and see what God does. And so, wow, boy, one of the things that you have to deal with, and I know this is not the easiest, but I think you navigate it so well, within ministries, within organizations, conflict resolution. Sure, sure. And we are human beings. We're going to bug people to death until we get to heaven. You know, we just yeah, it's have normal. quirky things and think we understand someone and maybe we don't. Right. And conflict resolution can make or break a ministry. I've seen it break ministries. Yeah. Um, there's fighting in churches now over no doubt about it. masks or no and masks. And hasn't I mean, this it, pandemic made it so yeah, hard? Yeah, yeah. What are, what are some of the things that you like to do when ministries are— struggling. Yeah. You know, I think, Tom, the thing that's not usual in ministry or business is to believe that we have to actually get into conflict. The conflict is good. Mm -hmm. It's just we've decided that it's not me versus you. We're clear on the patient on the table. So it's the object that we're trying to get at or the objective. Uh, So we're not trying to get into a me versus you, but we're still passionate about the issues that are between us. Um, I have a colleague that likes to say that meeting silence is corridor violence. And and, and by that, the deal is, is that if I'm not bringing to you um, my issues and not getting to a place with which we're dealing with um, the differences, um, probably one of us is not needed here. I had a boss that would say that uh, to us in our staff meetings is that uh, if all five of you are agreeing with me, I only need myself. The four of you can be dismissed. Uh, <laughs> and so, so, so the conflict side is actually the good side um, because uh, what we have to understand is that, first of all, God made us unique. And we've all come with different stories and different uh, perspectives, and we need that as one big additive sort yeah. of understanding. So we first go into it saying, we need conflict. We need to know that when conflict is happening, that it's actually the healthy thing for us to do, because when we disagree, we're actually being able to to get more viewpoints, uh, a compounding intelligence that can yeah. happen. Gosh, uh, isn't it the, uh, the emperor's clothes when uh, everyone around you is just nodding, nodding, That's nodding, right. and the next thing you know, things fail because no one was willing to say, hey, that O-ring on that booster for the NASA space shuttle, it's got a problem. Somebody needs to know about this. We've got to, as leaders, invite disagreement. Um, but then we've got to also be able uh, to, to keep the gloves up, you know, and not, yeah. not work to win or destroy or demean but always work towards the objective. Uh, so uh, I hope to get in front of that with leaders so that they're not already dug in oftentimes, uh, and I've seen it especially in these days where I get with leaders and they're already dug in with someone, uh, an, an elder who didn't agree, a board member, sure. um, a staff member, <clears throat> and it's starting to tear at the fabric of who they are. 
Um, and, and oftentimes there's just that need to go back to that uh, managing of the story or the fundamental attribution yeah. error. Well, I'll come back um, and give that as much grace as humanly possible and re-enter into a discussion humbly. And so we, we work with, with groups in that uh, we first foundationally say conflict's good, good. that we don't say that when conflict's <clears throat> happening, that that the Lord's left us or the Holy Spirit's not here. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, we have to always keep the Holy Spirit present, not push him out of that discussion, but at the same time believe that we've got to stay in this and not bail out of it emotionally, That's right. not walk out of the room or, or, or keep from having those discussions. And then when we're already in a damaged place, uh, to come back, load up on empathy, and then come back into a place where I can humbly say, here's some things I could have done different. So we, we, we do that in conflict resolution and, and help leaders uh, because we need each other, Tom. Yeah. Uh, if there's anything the enemy wants for us as leaders is to be isolated. And it's so easy to be isolated with your dream, with your vision, to get alone and be, to be pushed to the side or allow yourself to be pulled and withdrawn. Uh, we need each other. Uh, and so even when there's disagreement, uh, that, that there's an ultimate belief that you love me and I love That's you right. and that never leaves uh, the, the equation, but we have to disagree. If we don't disagree, there's something wrong. Yeah. Ultimately, conflict is a very good thing. It is. And I'm, look at how the New Testament was shaped. You mm-hmm. know the battle of the heavyweights is in the New Testament? It's when Paul and Peter had a disagreement, right. had to do with grace, had to do with the people, the Gentiles, and um, they had a conflict, and it was resolved. Yeah, very you know? well. And I, th- I think that's, that's so helpful. People avoid it, but then they don't really get far, and you don't build a team. Um, I think finding, helping people find a common language is important. Uh, you're going to meet with our team on Monday. We just sent out our vision statement, our mission statement, yeah. our core values to the team and said, hey, guys, how are we doing on this? Where are we missing it? And um, and I can see areas where we need improvement, definitely, sure. and and everyone can. But but it was exciting to see that that was uh, there was an embracing of the core values, the vision, the vision, the mission, and uh, people were excited even more now than they were when we started. So that's yeah. a good thing. But how do we get better? Conflict's going to be a part of it. Um, what are you excited about? in, uh, let's say, ministry. Sure. I think that uh, there is more and more leadership that's not working from a position of power uh, or just even a, a positional power, That meaning that uh, I see more leaders coming in uh, to the ministry space that don't believe uh, that because I've got the title, um, therefore um, I'm I'm ruthless uh, and don't have an ability to to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see more leaders that are uh, more humble than ever. Now, uh, just to clarify, le- leaders aren't looking to get into a place where they're always um, in a consensus-driven scenario. That they need to provide. Uh, direction need to provide decision making, um, but but what I'm excited about is that th- the ministry space is no longer confined to um, the walls of a uh, 
Western church, right. uh, or that it's got to have a 501c3 attached to it, you know, a tax designation, that in fact, uh, ministry is happening more and more with, with leaders that are being entrepreneurial like you that said, um, I see an opportunity and I want to go after it. And, and you know what I said earlier in terms of leaders needing each needing more people. We need we need community. We need people That's to right. go along with us on that leader's journey, uh, and so we've got to build community around all sorts of vision. Um, and uh, you know, here in the last days, uh, uh, young men uh, and old men visions, yeah. dreams, yeah. those things are happening. And yeah. I think that that's happening in the ministry space, so that it's non traditional. Uh, it's to say that. It's no longer uh, we send a missionary out from a church and we're here, but in fact, I'm thinking about ways when I'm on a plane flight where I might lean over and say something to somebody, or that the business that I carry on in a foreign land, that, that there's an opportunity to, to sit next to somebody and dream up ways, uh, uh, holy scheming, uh, sure. for uh, seeing uh, the gospel brought to more people. Uh, so that's what excites me uh, is, is people like you. Uh, like my mentor, our friend Bob Shank, and, yeah. who who rallies uh, people and men and women to say, you know, God, you've given me this great capability in my my business. Uh, what if I was to take that capability and, and apply it uh, to the ministry space and find ways to to do that? So that that excites me is that I, that I believe that it's no longer leaving a pastor who's playing, um, you know, one on eleven football where he's the mm-hmm. only guy trying to get ministry done, but that more and more people are saying, you know, what I think there's something that God you've put into me that was the seed planted, and I want to see it multiply thirty, sixty, a hundred right. times That's what right. you put into me. So I, I'm seeing a lot more men and women sign up for God use me and use me for who you made me to be. And I'm, I'm not just a, a check writer, although, you know, giving is a good thing, but that in fact, you can use my, my talent, my time, my relationships, my family in ways that I never dreamed possible. That's so true. Well, you know, you bring up Bob Shank and, uh, he has been so helpful and so encouraging yeah. in my life. One of my best friends, Jim Tomberlin, pastored his sister church, and he told me all about Bob Shank. And Bob is a leader of leaders. Yeah. He develops leaders, and, and I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about what he does with masters. But Bob just speaks in word pictures. He can take the most complex Ooh. thing oh and give goodness. you a word picture. He's the best. And it really is. He ought to write a book, Shankisms or something. <laughs> or but We're going to write it for him. Yeah, really. But I remember as we were getting ready to launch, exciting. It's it, we're, we've got vision. We got our toes off the edge of the diving board, and Bob just one day said, "Listen," and he said, "It's good to start small. You can yeah. go from a cruise ship to a speedboat. You can yeah. navigate quickly, and that's what you need right now. The Middle East is changing." And he just brought clarity mm-hmm. to it. Uh, Dan Horner thinks like that too, yeah. and he said this uh, just really good, helpful, uh, encouraged me. He said, Tom, you and Uncharted, you're a message-based ministry. Yeah. And you need to get the message out more. And uh, a book every three years isn't enough. Mm-hmm. You need mm-hmm. to podcast. You need, it's a good to, word. To, to the point where <laughs> yeah. Dan sent all this podcasting equipment and said, you need to go for it. it. And there are people like that. And I guess what I'm making in this point is leaders are motivated when they're around other godly gifted leaders. Mm-hmm. We speak the same language. We have the same vision. Yeah. Have the ability to execute quickly, put away the obstacles and keep moving forward. 
there's nobody in my book better than Bob Shank, and you are right with him too. Oh. What? How did? How were you influenced by Bob? And well, um, it, you know, I start off by saying that uh, too often we haven't accepted the mantle of leadership because no one's invited us in. And we think, oh, well, the leader was born that way. And and Tom Doyle, he's standing up on this stage speaking to all these people and writing these books, and he was just born that way. But, but the fact of the matter is, Tom, and I bet you would agree, is that it was, this, it was just a succession of yeses. As you were invited into more opportunity, you just kept saying yes, <laughs> and, and God kept equipping you, like you were talking about earlier. And and Bob was an inviter and is an inviter for people who have had all this capacity in a business sense and, and saying, what if? What, what if you applied that capacity in a different way? Let me invite you into a belief that you can have a wildly successful career, a wildly successful family, and moreover and most importantly, that you can make a big difference in the kingdom and serving mm. God with who you are. And so that, that invitation sounded phony uh, because yeah. the only... Uh, formula that I've had been modeled was to say that, well, Jeff, you're going to be success here in your career and you're going to buy enough counseling, career, cars, and all these other things to make your kids, you know, get into their life, hopefully not too damaged, but your career is just going to cost you everything. And hopefully you've hung on to your wife and you or she haven't, you know, blown it up in the meantime. And you know what? Your your best opportunity uh, is to to give to your church, and uh, that'll and maybe give to someone like Tom Doyle from time to time, mm. and and give him a pat on the back. And that that's the most that you can expect out of this life. But Bob invited me into something that I didn't think possible. Uh, but then practically through the master's program showed us over three years how to get the steps into play into real practical terms. And I, I know that I, I really scared Heather, my wife, Al, uh, <laughs> as so many times where I was coming home from a day at the master's program with Bob and I was calling her, telling her, this is going to change everything. This is going to change everything. And she was saying, what's it going to change? What do you mean? Are <laughs> we moving? How much more change do yeah. we need? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, how much exactly can I handle? Yeah. Um, but, um, it was those those nights when I would come home and sort of vomit out all these things that I had been thinking of that day, and she started to see a huge change in me, that, that there was a massive shift from uh, who I was to who I was becoming. And um, gratefully, uh, Heather was able to do the same thing in, uh, with Sherry Shank and, yeah. and be discipled the same way. And, uh, boy, let me tell you, a spouse is either a boat anchor to your calling or jet fuel. Mm -hmm. And my wife, like Joanne, is a jet fuel additive to who we are. And we're such great collaborators like you guys are. And uh, so... Um, it was really a, a result of uh, the three-year program that, that Heather and I went through with the master's program. And um, you know what's funny about Bob is that you find he's on uh, either every board of every ministry that that, uh, that you know of, or he's the personal uh, go-to guide for the leader of that it, ministry. Exactly. Um, and so uh, I, I have a, a ministry friend that I've gotten to know here recently who says uh, Bob's his Yoda, uh, and and he really is. He's the uh, the the guy that you can completely go to. So I've I've just been blessed to have him as a, a spiritual father. Wow. And when I read, you know, Paul talked to Timothy uh, about uh, you know him being his son. I, I think of you know the same sort of calling and honor that it's been to to have 
Bob speak into us. And now, of course, being able to lead the master's program here in Dallas wow. um, and uh, coach classes here. Uh, it's awesome because, man, what we're starving for, all of us, Tom, is to believe that my life matters, yeah. that, that there, there'll be some point of the whole thing and that I'll get to the end and uh, my kids will want to stand around my casket, that they'll want to talk about uh, the memories that we made together, right. and that, that when we enter into eternity, that we'll be uh, greeted by the friends. You know, what, what uh, we were encouraged to do is to use our wealth to gain friends uh, in, in eternity, not to use it for ourselves here on this planet. And, and I, I just have a vision for you and, and I for someday that walk into eternity mm. would be greeted by, by many friends who uh, will have said thank Thank you uh, for the godly service that you gave on the side of eternity. Oh, praise God. Wow. You know, I, I thought we'd close with this. Um, what what we're both most excited about yeah. in our ministry in Charted, and there's so many things, and we're involved in a Bible translation and flourish My broadcasting goodness, yes. into Iran. Wow. And, and, you know, we always say this, every soul matters and have for years now. I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, a campus pastor at uh, Texas Tech uh, had been sharing with a Muslim young lady, and uh, she was nervous. Her family, you know, was still in the Middle East, but yet liking Jesus, warming yeah. up to Jesus, not sure oh, yeah. about this. And um, <clears throat> they were at a standstill, and this this person said to her, you ought to look at one of these videos. I found the truth. Uh-huh. There's a couple of girls on it you might really relate to them. Yeah. And she went home at her school, got online, looked at him, watched all five videos, and she called her friend and said, I just prayed to receive Jesus. Oh, man. And you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Every soul matters. Right. And God, can he used his word. He used that woman. He used some videos of people just saying, man, I was like you, and this is what happened to me. Here's my story. There's so many things where God's entrusted us with that blow us away and we get on our faces daily and thank him for tell me tell me something you're excited about with uncharted maybe oh goodness uh so tom there's just a portfolio of great things going on in uncharted um you know when when we think about all the things that god has done or is doing or what we're looking forward to uh, I, I could turn a portfolio of opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And if you have to ask me to pin it down to one thing that just just has my heart is uh, the church that we're building oh. in uh, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, gosh, boy, do we have a fantastic team there of um, wonderful people. Uh, on top of that, a vision to see a church built and a place where it was marked to be a mosque and for that church to be built on that location and for us to see that happen as a center point with which um, the gospel can be shared through the Middle East. Uh, you know, it, it's not about the building, it's about the rally point. That's right. And and that's what the, the church building is anyway, because yeah. we're the church, not the building. But but that's going to be a rally point uh, on, on the road to Damascus, right there where it's at. Uh, and uh, just, we you know, we were meeting with them earlier today, talking with our, our Jordanian team. And the passion 
never leaves for them. Oh. They're always excited about what's coming next. Right. And their faith is always there. Yeah. You know what? I think we're so uh, lost in our ability to pay for things on our own as as Westerners. We're, we're so affluent. Uh, yeah. And then then when you when you talk to somebody from there who doesn't have the means for everything that you do uh, and then you realize that 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 they just fill that gap with faith and then they trust the Lord uh, it is a huge boon to to my faith and knowing how much further can I stretch God to trust you and not mm. not just rely on the things that my five senses can sense yeah. but the thing that you work in the sixth sense that says you're working in a space that I don't and that I pray to to see you work in uh, so um, yeah that that that's the project the the Middle East uh, church that we're building there mm. um, I'm over the moon about that one boy and you you think about it we don't build buildings no we you don't. know that's just not what we do no. but we knew that God wanted us to build this one. And gosh, we could go on and talk about Flourish broadcasting into Iran, the yeah. Bible translation. Huge. I remember hearing from our team. I checked with Tommy, our son, and said, hey, how's it going with the Bible translation? He goes, we're underground translating right now. These are some people that are still Muslim. There yeah. was nobody in the language that was a believer that could translate. And I said, oh, you're meeting in an undisclosed lo location and he said, no, we're literally underground. Some of the people that are working on the translation, if their family found out, they would be dead immediately. Mm. And they're doing it anyway. And Jesus is working in their heart, but they're not really even at their point of faith yet. So to see God moving so powerfully, and in fact, on November 10th, Tuesday night, one week after the election, we have a chance to share with people what God's doing around the world. It's called an evening of hope. Oh, yeah. And uh, Anne Graham Lotz is going to share, Lee Strobel is going to share, some of the friends in ministry are going to share. And uh, if you're interested in that, get a hold of us and we'll, we'll get you an invite. We'd love for you to know. It's going to be great. What's going on. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that oftentimes you can hear these stories, you can read your books and feel like they're a world away. But, but when you can actually see them in action and see some of the people involved, it starts to give you the, the belief and the connection that that this is really going on. And there's nothing like going on a trip with you uh, into the Middle East and, and being able to put your feet on the ground next to those things and touch them and see the people and see God at work. Uh, it It's really special. So yeah, we want people to be able to come and, and see that message that's coming up here. Amen. It's going to be exciting. You know, one thing that just makes it even more sweeter, we are privileged, Jeff, to work in the area where Jesus was, Paul, this church that we're going to be building is right by the Jabbok River. Yeah, and Jacob wrestled with the Lord. Isn't I that mean, awesome? This is this is not just uh, an area that has no history. This is deeply entrenched in the Bible, and the gospel is coming back to this region in a powerful way. So, we are so privileged. Um, thank you so much for being the Uncharted board chairman, for oh, helping guide privilege. us, for using your gifts, for helping so many others. Tell them people about how they can get a hold of you if they sure. need a tune-up, if they need something with their ministry or business. Yeah, thanks, Tom, for inviting me to be able to, to offer that. Um, I, I want to be able to invite your listeners that if they'd like uh, time, uh, they don't need 
to uh, anticipate a contract or any sort of uh, cost. I want to be able to help leaders right away. Um, my goal is to meet with them for free and help them get things solved wow. right away. Um, and if that can't happen, then uh, I'll get more involved with them and help them go further with it. Um, but I, I'm if, if we can offer a link uh, in your podcast notes, you I'd love to offer a link where they could click book some time with me um, and sincerely look to see how I can help them accelerate. Uh, you know, we exist to help leaders uh, have more joy in their work and more margin in their work. And when we believe that when you as a leader have a greater amount of joy and a greater amount of margin in time, you're going to be an even better worker in the kingdom, a better mm. father or mother in your family. Right. Uh, and and so our, our purpose being so certain that, that we can bring you more joy in your leadership and more time uh, in the way that you approach uh, your your uh, oversight, that you're going to uh, see a, a boon in your ministry so I uh, or business. So I, I'd love to offer that link, and you can book time with me gratis so that, that uh, I can offer you some ideas and, and be as um, valuable as I can be uh, to making you go farther. So thanks, Tom, for that opportunity. Well, and I can attest to this. Leaders, you'll be more effective. You'll have a higher functioning team. You'll, you know, to put it in NFL terms, you'll be like the Kansas City Chiefs or something, right? (laughs) Just running on all cylinders. And that pains me because I'm a Bronco fan, but they really are up there. And uh, Jeff, thanks for being on Good News from the Middle East today. Uh, It's a real honor, Tom. We love you. And Joanne wanted to be here, but she's Nona, you know, the grandma. That's that's Italian for grandma, Nona or Noni. And little Charlotte, Cha-Cha, had a broken arm. Yeah. She had to get the cast taken off and pretty nervous about oh. that. She won a grandma there, so she sends her apologies not to be here with us. But oh. anyway, that's what we got going on. Thanks again. It was great. Thank you, Tom. 